This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we talk about security in ONTAP 9.8 and what's new along with IPsec. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipoc. Zipoc. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and today we're going to talk about security and specifically security updates for ONTAP 9.8 since that is now out. Uh, To do that, I brought along two special guests. Uh, We'll start with Juan Mojica. Juan, what do you do here at NetApp and how do we reach you? Hey, Justin. Uh, I am responsible for security product management and technical marketing. I lead the team. Also with us today, uh, Matt Trudwin. Uh, Matt, what do you do here at NetApp and how do I reach you? Yeah. Hey, Justin. Uh, I am also in my basement, much like my North Carolina Tar Heels were last year. Let's not talk about that. Instead, I'm a security technical marketing engineer here at NetApp focused on security. And you can reach me on the Twitters as well at NTAPMatt. That's N-T-A-P Matt. All right. Excellent. So, Matt, it's okay. Both of our teams were in the basement last night. It's all good. <laughs> we're not going to talk about Justin. <laughs> <sighs> all right. Uh, enough about that. So, um, you know, we're going to talk about security updates. We try to do one of these at least a quarter, and sometimes we, we miss a couple quarters because not a whole lot goes on, especially now that we have a longer release cadence with ONTAP. So uh, back in November, ONTAP 9.8's release candidate shipped. Uh, we did our Insight Conference where we had a few sessions there. I'm, I'm sure Juan and, and Matt will tell you about those. Um, so Matt um, or, or Juan, uh, what's new with, with, uh, with the security pieces? I mean, I understand we had a zero trust paper that went out. Yeah, so actually it's a recording. Uh, we have we work with Forrester as well, kind of. They've defined, uh, they historically defined zero trust, and we kind of briefed them on what uh, our views were on zero trust and how it aligned exactly with kind of what they, they thought zero trust was and will be in the future. And uh, there's a presentation uh, recording available for customers or partners as well uh, to to be able to listen and force or explain zero trust uh, and also kind of present uh, the NetApp Zero Trust solution as well in that context. So uh, if you're interested in listening to that, um, you know, I think you can reach out to your account teams and uh, they can funnel back to us as well, or you can kind of try to ping us directly. Uh, like I said, if you have my email, uh, go ahead and use it. Uh, but it's it's pretty cool, uh, to tell you the truth, uh, kind of validating the work that we've done here and ONTAP and NetApp uh, to position Zero Trust and understand Zero Trust and help our customers um, defend against the next set of attacks. Okay, so you, you, we've said Zero Trust a few times here. Let's talk about what that is and what that means. I know, I know that we've talked about it before, but it's always good to kind of refresh our memories. Sure. Uh, it's uh, The basic principle is trust nothing, validate everything. Um, and from uh, from a high level, you could also think about it as just giving uh, the right access to the right data to the right people at the right time at the right uh, price. And <laughs> at the right price. <laughs> well, if the malicious actors get access to your data, it will be at the right price. Um, at the end of the day, it's basically having a set of uh, checks and balances within your infrastructure uh, to basically 
have the ability to do something like micro segmentation to really limit down the access as much as possible to the data that an individual user has and give them access to only what they need to do their job. It's, it's as simple as you can think of it somewhat as role-based access controls, but historically what we've known is that those are, are fallible. And when you're looking at uh, how companies set permissions across their uh, data real estate, uh, most people have access to everything. And so you have to do something uh, more, uh, and this is where kind of NetApp comes in and how we've positioned uh, and what we've implemented within our software, as well as with our Cloud Insights product, is um, be able to actually monitor what a user is accessing and then start reporting on deviations from his normal pattern or deviations from how people like uh, that given user, the same type or working on the same projects, uh, what the deviations are from that group, right? So if you start all of a sudden sequentially accessing files um, from a given directory and your typical workday, you know, doesn't start till like 8 a.m. and it's midnight and now all of a sudden you're going through systematically accessing files and then deleting stuff. And that's all stuff that's atypical behavior and being able to uh, monitor that, right? Not trusting that just because you have file permissions, uh, you should be modifying those files and doing that set of check and balances and being able to report and then take action uh, accordingly. So zero trusting uh, effectively the, the user uh, to, to have a higher level of security and actually monitor uh, for these kind of nefarious actors. Trust no one. Something like that, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. So, um, all right. So we got an idea about what zero trust is. And, you know, if you want that Forrester recording, again, reach out to your sales folks and, and they'll be happy to send you these things. Um, so let's move into what's new with security with ONTAP since we have a new ONTAP release. So ONTAP 9.8, uh, Matt, what did we get in that release that was security related? Justin, <clears throat> sorry. I have no, no voice there. <laughs> Got a little choked it's up so, on tap 9.8 there. A little yeah, pumped. I just did uh, bring the tear to my eye uh, there. Talks to um, I'm so excited about the... <laughs> Justin, it's a good question that you asked there. The thing that one of the things that's really exciting with ONTAP 9.8 is we kind of finally reached feature parity with data at rest encryption uh, by adding root volume encryption. So, you know, in 9.6, we added NetApp aggregate encryption, and that allowed us to encrypt SVM roots. And of course, we've been able to encrypt data volumes since like 9.1, but NSE in the past was the only way that you could encrypt everything, right? Get your data at rest. And with software encryption, or you know, um, we only had NVE, right? Well, now NVE can encrypt the root volume. So this is particularly interesting for customers that are cloud customers, like CV, using cloud volumes on tap, CVO. They don't, if they want to go ahead and encrypt all that data at rest now with 9.8, they can fully do that. Uh, so that that's the, one of the most exciting additions there that we've had. And uh, really, like I said, it brings parity to that. And if you want to, you can even double encrypt. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, with if you are using NSE today, there's no reason to not go ahead and encrypt everything with software. If you want, uh, the more layers of encryption that you have, the harder it is for them to get to the data, of course. And you wouldn't really be able to double encrypt in the cloud, right? I mean, you don't have control over that, but you could certainly use the single layer encryption. That's right. Yeah. In the cloud, you don't have the hardware, just like you mentioned. So in the past, though, we could only encrypt the data volumes. Now you can go ahead and get those root volumes in the cloud, 
get them encrypted as well as the SVM roots and kind of takes care of everything. So let's talk about the SVM root or not the SVM root rather the node roots because the SVM root is basically our volume and that all it is is a namespace entry point. The node root volumes is what we're specifically talking about here. So what is in that node root volume that's so important? Yeah, you're going to have a lot of your configuration data in there, right? For the cluster, um, node management lists, things like that. Uh, so any of, any of that kind of stuff uh, that you're, you're basically just the system, the core of ONTAP is, is in that node root. And so it's great to encrypt that, especially if you don't want to. Uh, you know, people getting a hold of some of that information if they were to get access to the whole system. Yeah, and, and not just that. I mean, you have, you know, messages files and EMS events, and those have IP um, addresses yeah. and host names, exactly. right? So you're exposing a lot of information potentially in those log files, in those configuration databases that get replicated. So so encrypting the root volume there does uh, does take care of some of that. Um, question for you, though, because we do replication across the cluster, do I, does that mean when I when I encrypt a node root volume, I have to encrypt them all? No, you don't have to. Uh, it is optional. You know, um, to you just pick the ones that you want to encrypt. Um, ideally, though, it, it would make sense to go ahead and do each one. Right? Yeah, given each that one. they're replicated, you probably don't want to leave exactly. one out. Yeah, it's just like with a snap mirror. You know, we used to have NVE. If you would snap mirror, the destination wouldn't automatically be NV encrypted. But generally, we would say, yeah, you should probably set that up on the other side too. Okay. So what else is uh, in ONTAP 9.8 that sticks out for security? Well, the big one we're going to talk about a little bit later, it's such an exciting feature that I think it needs its own sort of time is uh, IPsec. Well, let's, let's do that now. Okay. <laughs> so, so IPsec, right? So, I mean, we're, we're encrypting with the you know, volume encryption at the you know, data at rest piece. IPsec helps us with the in-flight portion of that encryption. So exactly what is IPsec and how does it tie into ONTAP? Yeah, it, it gives us that full end-to-end encryption. You're right. It's it's over the wire or in transport. And it's pretty much, it's been around for a long time. IP stands for IP security. It's been a standard for a long time. In fact, we even had it back in seven mode, although it wasn't quite as robust uh, as what we have today. Initially, the real use case for this is what we are hearing from a lot of our customers. You know, we've had encryption in flight for NFS with Kerberos. You know all about that, Justin, for sure. Uh, SMB encryption. (laughs) I think you wrote a blog about that. I use it all the time. Thanks. Um, (laughs) But, you know, some customers setting up the whole Kerberos infrastructure can be potentially, uh, you know, complex, right? And so IPsec kind of simplifies that process. It's one of the main reasons we added it. But what it really gets you, just from a function standpoint is if anybody in the middle, man in the middle attack, and they're trying to sniff over the wire, anything sent over that IPsec transport, and we have two modes, tone mode or transport mode, we only support transport mode in IPsec. Anybody sniffing that traffic, they would be unable to read it because it would be encrypted. You know, 256-bit encryption. Uh, we actually have three different cipher suites, but I won't bore you with the technical details. It's all on the man pages. But that is the main use case for it. And it is, it's pretty simple. You know, it's between client and server, right? And it uses the Ike version two protocol to negotiate that. And we also have the authentication with pre-shared key or PSK or pre-shared secret. So as long as your client knows the secret, and of course you set the secret in ONTAP, they'll be able to establish that IPsec transport and everything that flows uh, in between will be encrypted over the wire. So when you combine it with, you know, we talked a lot about uh, data at rest encryption. When you combine it with that, you're fully encrypted 
end to end from an on tap perspective. You know, as soon as it hits on tap, or as soon as it goes over the wire from the client to on tap, it's encrypted. And as soon as the data gets placed on on tap, it is encrypted. And that's that's one of the really nice things about IPsec is just we have that end to end encryption now. So I, I know with Kerberos encryption, there's a lot of overhead with setting it up and configuring it and you got a lot of moving parts my understanding is with ipsec there's not that much to it right you just basically turn it on on both ends and it's done yeah for the most part the on tap side is super simple uh the client side can be simple if you know what you're doing right so we support all kinds of different on um, ipsec clients strong swan is the easiest to configure by far and that's what most of our configuration and document guides refer to is using strong swan and so I would recommend that, although we've gotten LibreSwan to work, um, what does not work today is native Windows uh, client software. So if you try to use native IPsec in Windows, it doesn't work. That's because they only support IG version two with certificates. And as I just mentioned, we're IG version two with pre-shared key, but StrongSwan is, can be installed on top of Windows. So you, know, you can use it that way if you want to. But yeah, it's, it's pretty simple. Getting back to your point, it is a pretty simple setup. It's um, you have a policy entry. I'm coming from this IP on the client. Which lift on the ONTAP system do I want to connect to? So you could set it up to just be a certain lift. You don't have to say the whole SVM, right? And for that lift, let's use IPsec. And uh, what's our pre-shared key? Type that in and you're good to go. As long as you have the same secret on both sides, everything's encrypted. Pretty simple. So what is the encryption level there? Is it like TLS 1.2 or is it using something like AES? I mean, what is that? encryption what's the strength there yeah it's it's using aes underneath um i think it's gmac aes 256 bit uh, i'd have to get the specifics but yeah essentially it's that it's not tls it is literally the ip security protocol it's its own protocol you know um, tls uses uh, tcp right it uses a uh, certain tcp ports um, but ipsec is its own protocol itself and it encapsulates all of ip in it you need um Certain ports open on UDP, and there is, I believe, another protocol that you need opened, which is escaping me at the moment. But I will have the link to that information. We can put that in the show notes, right? The specific protocols. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. I'll have that available. So with IPsec, when you're encrypting, you know, there's this process that has to happen on the client and the server where you're basically unencrypting and re-encrypting and that sort of thing. What kind of overhead should we expect performance-wise? And how does it compare to things like Kerberos encryption? Yeah, so performance is always a good question. Uh, I would say from a Kerberos standpoint, it's actually fairly similar. You know, it all depends on the workload. So for the most part, you're going to be looking at about, you can figure roughly a 30% hit to throughput. Uh, so throughput is, you know, a lot of people get confused about performance and they think, well, my CPU is going to go high. Do I need to look at that? Or what we're simply talking about is the amount of network throughput you can get and how much IO that pushes, right? So you can take figure about a 30% hit, but it's best to test in your environment. I believe Kerberos is similar. Justin, you can correct me if I'm wrong there, but I think that's also in that range. Yeah, and it generally depends on, like you said, the workload type. Like if I'm doing, you know, a streaming of two files, that's going to be less impactful than, you know, sending millions of little files. Yeah, and we see that reads are a little bit better, right? A little bit better performing writes, uh, not you lose a little more throughput. Uh, the one area where I would say it's probably uh, not as good of a use case is for SMB. We've had a lot of improvements in SMB version 3 encryption. So if you're using SMB 3, and you can use that. 
then that encryption tends to perform a little bit better than IPsec. I think sometimes that's in roughly the 15% range, again, depending on workload, reads, writes, kind of things you mentioned there. And that IPsec performance hit is a pretty standard hit. I mean, it's not just because it's on ONTAP. That's probably across the board. You're going to see that regardless of what you're using. Yeah, industry-wide. Yeah, go ahead, Juan. I think you're going to... Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, no. if you start looking at other documentation, uh, you know, I found some VMware documentation that basically says, hey, yeah, we'll support IPsec for iSCSI, but only if you use IPv6 and we'll provide no, you know, no guidance on performance and you get what you get and may God have mercy on your soul kind of <laughs> kind of deal uh, with performance. Uh, you know, what we've seen is, is like Matt said, you know, on par or maybe a little bit better than a Kerberos based encryption. If you get, if anybody has deployed that and definitely it's a simplicity aspect of it uh, to, to be able to configure it without having that beast to, to deal with of Kerberos. And so um, this really, I think provides our customers the, the ability to to make a, a, a risk-based decision um, in their environment as far as you know what they can and can't do if without this without this option in certain ways you, you know if if it's not if it's not Kerberos if it's not NFS traffic for example there's other traffic that uses IP that could also be encrypted using this right it's a generic way of doing uh, encryption for anything coming in and out of the box effectively. Uh, and so without this capability, there would be no option. But now you can make a risk-based decision to say, hey, I can turn this on. It's going to potentially cost me something, but I can now weigh it against the business need, right? Some workloads are absolutely going to need this, uh, given its sensitivity, given the importance of the business and kind of the criticality or what your general overall security posture is as a company. And so now you can make those trade-offs and you can go negotiate and potentially get more but if you say hey i can do this but it's going to cost and this is what it's going to be provisioned or and maybe then you can also then get away from having to do it at all now that you have that information armed uh with you be able to say hey you know what uh that's too much we don't want to pay for that uh and then just keep doing what you're doing kind of thing so either way it, it's i think a benefit for our customers to be able to have the capability to have the right discussions on security and make you know, a risk-based decision at the end of the day. Yeah. And, and, and comparable to, to, you know, to compare to Kerberos, it's not just Kerberos, it's right. It's Kerberos 5P that we'd be comparing against because this is end-to-end Correct. encryption. Correct. If we're comparing it against like say Curb 5, you're probably going to get better performance with Curb 5 than IPsec. That's just the way it yes. is because you're doing less, yes. you're doing less encryption there. Correct. Correct. So yeah, to be pedantic, Justin. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> oh Yeah. <laughs> No, it's Good. not, well, it's not glad, pedantic, uh, Juan. It's correct. <laughs> Thankfully uh, for Juan j- jumping in there, I was actually able to look up, and I can be a little more specific on those uh, ports you need. So IPsec uses the uh, to that initial authentication, that Ike version 2 authentication. That uses the ESP protocol as well as UDP 500 and 4500. So you need those ports open for ingress and egress, and if you have that we'll be able to set up the IPsec tunnel, no problem. So that was some of the things we saw during initial uh, early access testing was those ports weren't open for uh, customers and and that allows us to not create that IPsec connection. So they're good ones to open there. Yeah, and, and you know, to just kind of 
belabor the point, if you use Kerberos, you also have to open other ports as well. I mean, you're not you're not dealing with fewer ports because you're using Kerberos. You're dealing with the NFS port, the Kerberos port, the KDC port. You know, so you, you do have to open ports for these these technologies to work properly. Yeah, good point. Now, I know with Kerberos encryption, we do the offloading to the AES NI processors. Do we do that with a uh, with IPsec as well? Yeah, any of the AES stuff should be going through that common uh, infrastructure, basically, to be able to leverage the same efficiencies. To at the end of the day, we're trying to squeeze out you know more from the same amount of hardware. So that's something that we're always mindful of. So you know, what else do you want to to tell us about IPsec? I mean, what sort of you know documentation do we have? Is there any other information that people need to know? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Other than uh, the, the documentation, we do have, you know, an FAQ. A lot of these questions are in there. We also, the it's in the network management guide because it does involve a lot of networking. And of course, our security hardening guide, right, has all the security things. So it's in there as well. But uh, those are the good ones to check out. Uh, and the only other thing uh, I would say is that, you know, it uh, it does what it's supposed to do. Just remember what, what Juan said. It's really a business decision. How concerned are you about man in the middle attacks? Something you're concerned about? The trade-off is a little bit of performance with that extra security. So, so what do you tell customers that come to you because they have to check a box? Like, you know, how do you explain to them that that's not always the best approach? Yeah, we try to tell them what the benefits and costs are, right? And if they're just concerned about checking a box, that what makes it easy is what we talked about before, at least from an IP stack standpoint. If they have to check that box with us, they'd have to check that box with anybody and the protocol is going to work the same, right? It's not like uh, it works differently as from performance. So it's just a matter of weighing what's important to the business. But if it was SMB, right, it would, we'd have a different conversation. If they said, yeah, I just need I just need over-the-wire encryption. Well, what, what kind of workload do you have? You know, oh, we're all SMB V3, our clients. Well, IPsec probably not the best choice for you in that case, right? So there's the other the other way to look at it is that we have layered encryption for <laughs> for data at rest. Now with IPsec, we have layered encryption for uh, NFS and SMB uh, as well. Uh, so now, yeah, if you really want to be super crazy secure about your stuff in flight, we can natively do two layers in flight. Um, just pick your poison, right? You're going to do a lot of setup. And you're going to have, for sure, a performance implication. But if you need two layers, now you can do it in flight as well. I would and imagine that performance hits stacks. <laughs> yes, it does. It, it, it would. Uh, so, uh, and honestly, you know, one thing that Matt pointed out, uh, and it's good to bring up, is that we're doing IP second transport mode, which is the way to get the most efficiency out of uh, implementing IPsec for a client to kind of uh, server traffic. Uh, so typically when people think of IPsec, they think of um, IP, uh, an IP packet encrypted entirely inside of another IP packet. What this gives you, it, it obfuscates the source and the destination of the traffic, right? You basically, you're going from some location and you don't know actually what the end location is. It's basically a tunnel between two sites, right? That's mostly when people think of IPsec. What um, IPsec in transport mode actually does is slightly different. It just encrypts really everything uh, beyond the IP header. So a, a person in the middle would know the proper or the true source and destination of the traffic, but anything past the IP header, they wouldn't be able to kind of uh, 
divine, right? Uh, so what this does, it's also kind of encrypts the source and destination ports in that L4 header uh, as well. And so it, given doing it in this manner with respect to performance, it means that we don't have to go through the entire networking stack twice to basically create an IP packet and then stuff it into another IP packet. That's where a lot of the tunneling technologies really start choking the system out. Uh, this is, you know, as best as we can do with performance-wise, as far as this uh, architectural structure and capability of the technology is concerned, where we'll just encrypt basically everything above the IP layer, uh, and then just keep going down the the networking stack accordingly. Yeah, the way I like to tie it in there is uh, it's similar to how TLS works, right? You have the TLS handshake, and you know where it's going. You know that source and destination, but then everything after that is uh, encrypted. So I like to think of the IP header kind of similar to the TLS hedge handshake. And uh, yeah, while Juan was talking again, I was able to look up more information. So that always <laughs> helps. Uh, the Cypher suite specifically you asked about earlier, Justin, we default to using a suite B GCM 256 bit encryption. So there you go. There you go. We keep on talking about NFS and SMB. The one thing that we haven't said anything about is iSCSI. If you want to encrypt iSCSI, IPsec is it. iSCSI natively doesn't have any sort of encryption as part of the protocol. And if you care, if you care about iSCSI and encrypting that traffic, this is the way that you would do it. The one thing that always fascinates me, and this could be on a whole tangent and just a derailment of, of this podcast, so uh, apologies, but humor me for at least a little second. You know, iSCSI, obviously, uh, it's a SAN network, and the, the analogous would be that the fiber channel network being a closed environment, non-routable environment, and then people said, hey, we, we can do this on, on Ethernet, and it'll be cheaper, and basically, let's just go do that. It, it's, I'm oversimplifying it, and I'm sure somebody's sharpening their pitchfork uh, already as to what iSCSI really is and how I'm an idiot which is fine. Uh, it wouldn't be the, uh, somebody once told me that the world was going to roll me. And so <laughs> from that perspective, we can take that entire smash mouth song. Hey man, you're an um, all-star. <laughs> but, uh, um, the point being is that I, I hear a lot of talk about not wanting to use security and iSCSI networks. Uh, but it really, if it's, if it's going over ethernet, anybody can snoop this stuff, right? Like it's super easy to do, uh, to have a man in the middle, either intercept the traffic or try to start modifying it. And the, because the protocol in and of itself does not provide uh, much security, it's got chap uh, authentication and uh, let's uh, not really call that security. Um, so really, if you were using IP networks to, to do anything, you need, you should have your data encrypted. And so iSCSI in particular, gains this amazing value add from having IPsec in the system to be able to en encrypt that as well. I didn't want to gloss that over. I know um, I know we were talking NFS and SMB, but there is no other way for iSCSI, and now we have a way uh, where we didn't have uh, before. Matt, I understand that you do a lot of work with uh, ransomware, you know, writing up blogs and, and TRs and that sort of thing. So what sort of new stuff do you have coming down the pike for that? Yeah, and I just want to clarify, I don't do a lot of work for ransomware. I do it a lot against ransomware. <laughs> no, you're you're a pro ransomware advocate. Yeah. I, 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 may, I might be an all-star as well, but I don't get paid for ransomware. Um, 
But no, uh, yes. Yeah, so the the big thing about ransomware, you know, we, I try to keep letting this topic die, and unfortunately, it will not die because uh, they these attackers will not go away. So back in uh, back in late October, early November, the FBI, along with the Cyber Inform- and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, announced that ransomware activity targeting healthcare and the public sectors is increasing quite a bit, right? And uh, that's not something we were surprised about. We had been talking about that for a while. In fact, in 2019 at Insight, we had their future projections and what we think might happen with ransomware. One of them was we thought they would go after the backups. Now, I'll admit, I didn't think that would happen the very next year in 2020, but that is unfortunately the trend we're seeing just across the board. And that's the FBI ransomware report said the same thing. And what they're doing now, attackers, they're not only deploying ransomware, but first they're going in the environment, they're getting credentials and they're deleting all the backups. They have become wise and know that that's what good customers do. They have backups, right? And they can restore from ransomware. And when they do that, they don't pay the ransom. Well, the, uh, the attackers, they do want to get paid, right? For the ransom. So that's, um, unfortunately that's out there. The good thing is we have a lot of solutions from the on tap side, right? And, and one of them that we've been had for a long time, and I don't think the use case was originally for ransomware is uh, SnapLock. I mean, SnapLock's been around even back in seven mode days, right? So SnapLock is very powerful when it comes to ransomware protection because when these attackers try to delete the backups, if you take a snapshot and you have it stored in a SnapLock volume, usually we do that with SnapVault, right? Take SnapVault, vault the uh, snapshots to the SnapLock volume. When that occurs, uh, if you're using SnapLock compliance mode, nobody can delete that snapshot. With enterprise mode, administrators can can delete the data, right? Um, so that is really, I don't know how that helps the ransom person get paid either because he can't encrypt the data, but he can delete it, but certainly the data is gone and that hurts the customer. But that's the real play here. And that ties into um, air gap backups, right? Because most of the industry says the way you protect ransom from a ransomware attack is make sure you have offline air gap backups, which an air gap's just tape backup, or maybe you have a hard drive you're connecting and disconnecting every day. I don't know how that's happening with COVID. <laughs> I don't know how people are in the office doing that. Maybe they're shutting down network ports, who knows, but. So the problem there though, is that when you go to restore from that offline air gap backup, all right, you got to get it back online. You got it. How long is it going to take to restore from tape or how can I connect my hard disk that has the data? How long is that restore going to take? And that all leads to increased downtime. The more time you're down, the more revenue you lose. So that's why SnapLock compliance is, is such a powerful solution. And I've, in some ways, I've been arguing, saying, you know, you don't necessarily need to have offline air gap backups if you have an on-tap solution. You can still use them. Nothing wrong with using them. But I, I would argue that having SnapLock compliance and be able to restore those backups much more quickly uh, is going to help you get back up online and, and reduce that downtime. So that's a long-winded answer to that question there, Justin. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting, right? I mean, SnapLock is kind of it's kind of been an afterthought, right? Not a lot of people know about it or have have thought about it, but it, it does add a, a specific value to sin- scenarios where you have ransomware attacks possible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and think about it this way: How many and the folks listening? How many of our customers have? Uh, the the storage admin has access to the primary, has all access to do whatever he wants on the primary. It's probably everybody. And the next question you need to ask is that same storage administrator, does he have access to all the backups, the secondary as well? 
the one interesting trend that I've seen in talking to customers is the answer is yes. And part of that is because, you know, there's been such a consolidation of IT resources is that, you know, the, the folks that still are able to, to manage storage now are managing all of the storage everywhere, regardless of what it's being used for. And typically that also includes the, the DR and the backup. Um, and th that's really the, the, the shame of it because at, at that point, you know, you have a bad day and a bad day could be a lot of different things. Maybe you're, you're angry and that would be kind of uh, on you, right? To, and then you basically can take out the entire environment because you have access to the primary and the secondary. More than likely, there's very little con controls in place for, for preventing you from doing that. And I've had that discussion with customers. Um, or, you know, somebody comes in and offers you more money than you've ever seen, and that, that might be appealing to you given your kind of uh, life situation, right? Um, and maybe you make that action based on that, that decision. Or at the end of the day, if your, your credentials are compromised in kind of a ransomware attack, then it's still the result's the same, game over, right? You, you, by virtue of being an administrator and a storage administrator or a data administrator, have access to all this data, well, that's then what they go after and are able to delete with your permissions, with your compromised credentials. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the weird thing that nobody is really talking about. It's the problem is really is somewhat of a separation of duties problem that most companies don't realize is a is a gap right now. Uh, and it probably won't necessarily do anything about it because it's consolidate, consolidate, less people, less people, which is, you know, the unfortunate trend. Of, uh, of IT. And this all kind of ties back to the initial conversation about zero trust, right? I mean, this, this is where right. zero trust really comes into play. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So you really don't want to necessarily trust uh, your administrators from that perspective to have all these permissions that you want the checks and balances. So, you know, we do have things like multi-factor authentication to try to help with these compromised credentials. Um, and certainly being able to separate and segregate the uh, roles as well as access to data is part of one of the big components of zero trust. So, yep, for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's a variety of ways you can approach securing your environments, whether it's multiple admin accounts or RSA keys or, you know, multi-factor authentication, like you mentioned. So it really comes down to how much configuration you want to do, how much money you want to spend and, you know, your resources at hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing about Snaplock compliance, too, that makes it pretty powerful is not only can administrators not, you know, remove any data that's in Snaplock compliance, it's there for however, but uh, the default retention is 30 years. And I used to be a support engineer at NetApp, and I actually got this call way back in the, the seven mode days and the customer put several terabytes on their on their hard drives, right, of Snaplock compliance. And they didn't realize that default retention was 30 years and they wanted to know, ask me as a support person. How could I take care of that for them? And uh, there was nothing we could do. You know, we don't put back doors into our system, not even back in those days, right? So that's um, from the standpoint of make sure you know where the data is going, make sure your retention period is set right. Think about that. But from an attacker security standpoint, what a powerful message that not even the vendor themselves have any way to remove data stored in this location. I just think that's uh, very compelling, very safe. Did you tell them to call you in 30 years? <laughs> yeah, I said I'll probably still be here. And what we are, that was 2005. So uh, 15 years, I'm waiting for that call, 2035. Right. <laughs> was, there, was there audible sobbing during that call? 
I don't know. The account team was pretty happy because they ended up ordering a new set of discs. So <laughs> oh, there you go. All right. Sounds like a lot of good stuff there for ONTAP 9.8 with security, as well as, you know, some some new documentation out there. And speaking of documentation, where can we find more information out there, Matt? Yeah, you can go to um, we actually have the NetApp Trust Center now, uh, which we'll put a link in the show notes. But that's where we've consolidated a lot of our security information. There's information on compliance, privacy and security. That's a great place to hit. And of course, you can hit the uh, product documentation and you'll find all our DRs there on this, uh, all of our DRs. <laughs> We've been talking about DRs. We have DRs and TRs. <laughs> you can find all that uh, information on the support site as well. Excellent. And Juan, do you have anywhere else we can uh, find things or is that about, is that pretty much it? Uh, well, there's always Google. There is. <laughs> Let me Google it for you. All right. All right. That music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or biotechontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Juan Mojica and Matt Trubin for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.